50 high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And we're the girls behind Commons by Celebs. And welcome back to another episode Hey Jewel. I am. How's it going over there? Oh, quite the morning we've had here. Julie is recording this episode from the floor of my aunt's apartment while I am in Jersey because 30 minutes into take one, her Wi-Fi shut out, allowing us to not save the initial tracks. And so we called my aunt in a panic and everything worked out. Everything did work out. I'm (laughs) suing Spectrum, but everything worked out. But I'm looking at this outline right now. It's like Britney update and then just a bulleted list of all of the couples. I'm into the couples news. I feel like people are listening to me. I know. Every paparazzi shot that we had kind of dreamed of and others that we didn't even know we wanted, I feel like we got or are starting to get. It's just everybody is so fucking horny. Yeah. I mean, that's the theme of the summer and I'm so here for it. And by the way, it's not just celebrities. Like I'm here for it all over the place. Oh, I'm so here for it. I actually want to know, can you guys message us and tell me if that is the general sense that you are feeling like in your own life, Hollywood aside, if you're just feeling like you and everyone around you is just increasingly more horny as it's getting warmer slash the COVID situation is coming to a close because it really seems to be the theme in my life. No, I think so. I think the summer really brings it out. But also you have to remember that last summer, it was, that was like the darkest time of COVID. So we're kind of like, I feel like everybody's trying to cram two summers into one. Mm -hmm. That's, I think what's happening. And honestly, it seems as though the celebrities are doing that as well. I, and I am so, so here for it. Beyond. Okay. Shall we begin? I would love to. So we're going to start out with a Britney update and I first just want to talk about what happened last night, and then we're going to kind of do the three major things that happened legally since last episode. So on Monday night, Larry Rudolph, who has been Britney's manager for like 25 years, he's worked with her since Baby One More Time in 1995, submitted his letter of resignation. And it was obtained by deadline originally. I'm going to read it. Quote, it has been over two and a half years since Britney and I last communicated, at which time she informed me she wanted to take an indefinite work hiatus. Earlier today, I became aware that Britney had been voicing her intention to officially retire. As you know, I have never been a part of the conservatorship nor its operations, so I am not privy to many of these details. I was originally hired at Britney's request to help manage and assist her with her career. And as her manager, I believe it is in Britney's best interest for me to resign from her team as my professional services are no longer needed. Please accept this letter as my formal resignation. I will always be incredibly proud of what we've accomplished over our 25 years together. I wish Brittany all the health and happiness in the world, and I'll be there for her if she ever needs me again, just as I always have been. So keep in mind, this just happened last night. So in terms of the response, it hasn't been that lengthy, at least at the time that we're recording this. But I think generally what I've seen is kind of two things. On one hand, if you look at 
an account like Britney's Gram or other kind of Britney fan pages or support pages, I think people view this as a positive move because in some ways it may signal some sort of a change. And then second of all, and this is not new by any means, but you know, in this letter, Larry continues to say that he has no involvement in the conservatorship. And if you look at Brittany's statement from last week or two weeks ago, she talks about how her management, which we can assume she means Larry, went to the psychiatrist saying that she wasn't doing what she said she was doing and kind of was the reason for some of the changes happening in terms of her therapeutic practices. So there's always just been conflicting stories in terms of what his level of involvement was, because he maintains that it is pretty minimal, if anything at all. Yet when she refers to something, she uses the term my management. And so there's always been questions and kind of a lot of skepticism there as well as kind of the way that he recounts her wanting to do the tour back in 2018 and her saying she was forced. So I guess I'll just say, who knows what this means, but this is not the first time where some of the things that he said is not on par with what she has said. Right, exactly. I, I think the thing here, as it's kind of the overwhelming theme, I think for most people, especially us during the entire discussion of the conservatorship and Britney Spears and her team, is I personally feel really out of my element when discussing it because I don't know – you know, it's kind of one of those things where you don't know who you can trust. Like every single person – that's mentioned in terms of Britney and the conservatorship, there's two different responses to each one of them. Like every single person that you discuss in terms of the start of Britney's career up until now, you just don't know what their deal is. You don't know if you can trust them. You don't know if they actually have Britney's best interest at heart. It almost seems like every single person has a piece of it and every single person has a piece of responsibility in what happened. So to say that, you know, nobody or there's one specific person that has zero involvement just feels incorrect based on what we're viewing. But again, I don't know. And it's one of the, I think the confusing things for maybe specifically both of us is we're just so used to understanding the moving parts. And even if we don't understand everything about a given situation, at least we can kind of have a grasp on the key players at hand. And I feel like we have no grasp on anybody involved except for maybe Jamie Spears, which we're all kind of unanimously in agreement on. Yeah, everybody is looking for kind of like a trustworthy narrator. Obviously, Brittany is that, although we hear from her so infrequently, and it just seems that we don't really get that. And you're right, it's not a good spot to be in, obviously, for her, and also as anybody that's kind of like evaluating or observing this. And then, you know, since the last episode, legally, on June 30th, the judge denied her request to have her dad removed from the conservatorship. But keep in mind, this decision had nothing to do with her statement during last week's hearing because the judge can't make a ruling based on what she said as she's yet to file a petition to fully terminate her conservatorship. Also keep in mind, this isn't the first time that she's denied this request because in November 2020, this was when Sam Ingham, her lawyer, had also requested that Jamie be removed saying that, you know, Brittany was afraid of her. The direct quote was, quote, my client is afraid of her father and that she refused to perform again as long as he was in charge. And at that time, the judge also declined to suspend Jamie, but said, you know, she's not ruling out future petitions for his removal or suspension. So then after that, because, you know, you guys know, like when that news came out, people were really pissed, understandably so. And then on July 2nd, the news came out that Bessemer Trust is stepping down. They were a co-conservator. 
And they kind of cited Britney's claim of irreparable harm to her interests, saying that they believed that Britney had consented to them being the conservator, although, quote, as a result of the conservatives' testimony at the June 23rd hearing, however, petitioner has become aware that the conservatee objects to the continuance of her conservatorship and desires to terminate the conservatorship. Petitioner has heard the conservatee and respects her wishes. So, again, who knows what there we can get into that in a second. And then probably the most, I would say, shocking piece of information came in this July 3rd New Yorker article. It was written by Ronan Farrow and Gia Tolentino. It's very, very long. So we were going to do paragraphs. Then it's kind of the thing where you really have to read it to get the full effect. We'll put the link in the description. But they say how the night before her hearing, she actually called 911 citing conservator abuse. And normally in the state of California, these calls would be public access. Like you have public access to emergency calls, but the county sealed the records of this message saying it's an ongoing investigation. And then apparently also after this alleged call, her team, the way that the article described it was that they were kind of frantically texting one another, not only fearing what would come if this call was released, but also this was the night before her hearing, fearing what would happen if she spoke in the way that she did. So it was very interesting insight that we didn't have. Extremely. Uh, going back to the Bessemer Trust, I just have one question. I'm not sure if it's a stupid question or if you also had the same. I understand from like an optics perspective that them stepping down and respecting Britney's wishes is, you know, quote, the right thing to do. They heard her testimony. They were obviously affected by that and they didn't want to play a role in that. And I completely understand that. At the same time, my question is, does that then give the systems that are in place, Jamie Spears, which is already, you know, the conservator and Jody Montgomery, both of which Brittany want to not be in charge of her conservatorship, you know, let alone not having the conservatorship at all. Does Bessemer Trust stepping down then give them more power? I don't know. See, that was obviously my initial question. I don't, I mean, I'm not approaching this from any sort of legally educated perspective. That was just like my gut reaction because I think that that's like a logical question to ask, right? Like in theory, it makes total sense. And we understand that if they realize she no longer wants to be a part of this, then, you know, they're doing everything in their power. That being said, is it actually counterintuitive? I don't know. You know, I feel we oftentimes when we tackle very layered celebrity subjects, people in our own lives, and I'm sure this is happening to a lot of people as well, who are very well-versed in pop culture, they then become like the point of reference for everybody. So everyone is asking them their questions, especially when people of all ages are really interested, moms, dads, you know, grandparents, they're all very interested in this Britney story. And I'm sure if you're that point of reference for your family or your friends, people have a ton of questions for you about all of these moving parts. And I think it's so out of our element to be able to say like, I don't know any of the moving parts here because it's so layered and so complicated. And then on top of that, there's a legal component to it. And I'm obviously, you're obviously, most of us are not well enough versed in the legal practices of what's going on here. So it just creates a whole other level of confusion. No, it absolutely does. And that's why I really would recommend everybody reading and also sending to people that are curious this New Yorker article, because I mean, I would say the biggest takeaway in terms of quote new information was the fact that she called 911 the night before her hearing that was something that was previously unknown i mean think about how i actually was thinking about this think about how powerful the hearing was as is how much more powerful it would be if people knew that at the time that they were listening originally but that's kind of a side thing you know the way that this article 
explains some of the past situations that have happened. And again, not that we didn't know this, but there's one particular part where they're talking, you know, when she was in the kind of custody battle with Kevin Federline, and I think at this time she had four days of visitation rights or whatever it was. And they're talking about this one circumstance where, you know, towards the end of her visitation, she didn't want to give the kids back, understandably so. Obviously, she's the mother. And there was this one paragraph where they're talking about how she's holding her son in the bathroom and she didn't want to come out with him. And the fire the fire department is there. There's helicopters, there's police, they're taking an ax to the door. And it's this whole very dramatic situation. Really what's going on is the bathroom door isn't even locked. There's a woman just standing there holding her child that she just wants to have more time with. And they kind of just discuss, you know, breaking down the door, taking her child away, putting her on this gurney on the 5150 hold, and just like the pain in her eyes. And again, it's not that we hadn't heard these stories, but it was really described in some very visceral detail. And I just would highly recommend reading it for a lot of things. But that alone, again, her humanity is not lost on any of us, but it takes it away from the legality of it. And kind of just, you view her as like, in that moment, just a mother. And it's it's very heart-wrenching. Yeah. I, reading that piece is difficult because it really gives you an understanding of how every single thing, every step of the way just went wrong and purposely went wrong. And, you know, had she been given the help she needed from the very start, every single thing could have been avoided, but they took advantage of her at every single step of the way and forced her into this. And you were dealing with somebody who was going through a very difficult period of their life in terms of growing up and change, divorce, having kids. And on top of that, a lot of people around her have said that she was probably dealing with a lot of postpartum depression. And that is where her mental health struggles really stemmed from. So had she been given the proper care and therapy and tools that she needed at the time, we wouldn't be in this situation. But every single person that was around her, or so it seems, saw her struggling and instead of helping her, saw it as an opportunity to advance their own interests. And that's what you're seeing here. You're seeing the effects of every single person around her just leading her in the absolute wrong direction with very, very specific intent in doing that. And it's hard to read and it's hard to, you know, piece that all together and understand it because you're looking at it all now in retrospect. Right. Of course. It was kind of just like finances were always prioritized over her genuine well-being because obviously her finances and the more she was producing was directly tied with the more that these people were getting. And it's it goes back to the trustworthy narrator thing. It's like you can't believe that there wasn't one person or at least one person with power that could step in and do something. And like even I know, you know, a lot of people, and this is so layered, talk about kind of her her mom. And we know this and this is not no new information, but originally the conservatorship was supposed to be a temporary thing. And so her mom didn't want to be a co-conservator because she figured that once this was all over and once the conservatorship ended, because remember, Brittany really did not want this at the beginning, she would was almost happy that Brittany would be more upset with her dad. It was kind of like, listen, let him do the dirty work and and not in a negative way, but that was kind of her her mindset of it. At least that's the way that she recounts it. And when you think back, like how differently this all could have gone down. Who knows? Who is to say if going into it, these people always had the intention to make this a permanent thing or if they realized once they got a little bit of power that they wanted to make this a permanent thing? None of us fully can say with 100% certainty what their intention was going in. However, 
one thing we can say factually is that there was definitely a lack of awareness to the people around it that weren't directly involved about how permanent this could become. And how think about how differently things would have gone down if there was more of that understanding. It was viewed as so temporarily for the people around. Yeah, and they make a really excellent point in the article where they're basically saying, you know, when you look at Brittany's behavior, if it seems as though her mental health is declining or not in a good place, okay, which could be from a series of factors, but could also be because of the stress and the medication that they have her under, that then gives the conservator the power to say, look, she's not good. She needs this. It's it's helping her. And then on the other side of that, if she's doing well, it then gives the conservator the opportunity to say, look how well she's doing under this. She's thriving. She needs this. It's saving her life. So they have her in such a catch-22 where no matter what way you look at it, they can make an argument for keeping her under that. Obviously not to the public right now. The public is very on the side of there is nothing you can say about Brittany right now that will make us believe she should be under this conservatorship. That's how I feel as well. But in the eyes of the court and the people who are presiding over this case, using that catch-22 of an argument is what's keeping her in this. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That They're really using that to their advantage. It's just – they're like weaponizing it in a way. It's just – I think for me in all of this, like in terms of the recent things that we just discussed, I, I just can't understand how at the very least – Jamie can't be removed. I can't understand it. I can't even, I'm even from a legal, like it just does not make sense to me. There ha- talk about the most fair middle ground. Like, okay, fine. If you have to keep the conservatorship for a little longer, clearly nobody wants that. But if that's what the judge, you know, feels they need to do until there's more of a formal thing and that on the evaluation's fine. The fact that there is such an opposition to Jamie being removed after we have just repeatedly heard not only from Brittany, but from everybody involved, such horror stories. This is the kind of shit that makes you feed into some of these more, you know, out there theories of like, what is really going on here? I don't know. That is my question as well. I do not understand for one second how this has been able to continue with him. I mean, I understand when people explain the legal proceedings of it has to be filed. I believe at this point she has officially filed for the conservatorship to end. I understand that there are, you know, tests that she most likely will have to go through in accordance with the law. I can understand that. I don't necessarily have to agree with it to be able to grasp that concept. I cannot for the life of me, and I don't think anyone else can, understand why Jamie would still be left in charge of this. If there is another option, if there are other people that can take over, if there are court-appointed temporary conservators that can step into place until this is all legally figured out, why is that not being put into action? Because then it's like, you're right. Like, you know, I, I don't consider myself and I definitely don't consider you to be like a conspiracy theorist where you're saying like at every level of this, it's working against her. But when you have the judge ruling that Jamie should still be in and you have her therapist prescribing her medication in accordance to what her team is saying rather than what she's saying, you take a step back and you're like, what is going on? Like beyond my rationale of what I can understand from what would normally be the case or what my mind can conceptualize as the case, like everything that's going on seems to be pushing past that. No, exactly. That's why I momentarily start to kind of go into these thought processes because it's 
I don't know what it is. If it's just our brains trying to logically wrap our heads around this, or you just feel so helpless or you feel so frustrated, but obviously, you know, we will keep you posted. I wonder if this Larry Rudolph thing is a catalyst for any other big changes that are coming. I think that we can all kind of agree that for a while this felt a little bit stagnant and at the very least it feels that things are changing. And so hopefully that's a good, I'm very cautiously optimistic, but yeah, I, uh, I don't know you guys, I think we just have to continue to talk about it and obviously hope that at the very least, maybe public pressure will change things in some way or move the needle at all, because that's the only thing that we can do. Yeah, I I hope so. And I believe that will continue to happen. Again, it's, you know, even with her addressing the court and that being something that was streamed for us to be able to see, that is a huge step in the direction of things getting open because the first time there is some sort of transparency in all of this. So I, I do believe that it's steps being taken in the right direction. It's just a very sad and fucked up situation and it continues to get sadder and it continues to not get any less fucked up. And um, I don't know, we'll see what happens, but that is the update for this week. So Mother's Day is coming up and I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because realistically, no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. And it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen and every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, let's get into this couple section. And I just start by saying some of these are kind of confirmations. Some of these are more so speculations. Some of them are nothing new, just really good paparazzi photos that have made headlines. So let's start out with definitely the most significant, which is Zendaya and Tom Holland. So they were photographed making out in a car on Thursday. I should say it wasn't really a make out. I think it was more so they were kissing and they happened to be photographed. But Keep in mind, there have been rumors about them since 2017 when they first starred in Spider-Man. But she was then dating Jacob Elordi from August 2019 to March of last year. And he most recently was linked to Nadia Parks. Also in 2019, he was linked to Olivia Bolton. So I think the reason this was so exciting was because it was just official confirmation. Everybody kind of thought it. I think definitely within the industry, it was confirmed, but this was the first time the public could finally say, yes, we fucking knew it. I don't know if it was, was it confirmed within the industry, you think? I don't know if I would go as far as to say confirmed, but I think it was people definitely thought it. Like think about what we had heard. People were like, yeah, it's a thing, but there was never physical proof. Right. And this is, this is really it. I mean, again, I think that's why people are so excited about this because aside from truly liking both of them individually, 
it has felt like so many years of buildup and sexual tension between them. And for them to give into that just feels like very exciting. And I think that's such a common trend in Hollywood where when you have two couples that you think, or where you have a couple that you really think is something's going on, but you can't prove it. And you think they'd be great together. When they finally get together, you're like, how amazing is this? Like, not only did I feel, do I feel validated in the fact that I was right about it, but it feels special for them to be able to do this. For sure. And I think like there's kind of three things happening here because in general, no matter how you feel about them as a couple, I think people just did generally feel validated for the confirmation. But then what I saw, and tell me if this is consistent with your thoughts, I felt like there were two reactions. I felt like there were the people that were absolutely obsessed with it from the get-go. Like, yes, we've been wanting this. We stand this, like losing it. And then there were the people that were relatively indifferent, didn't feel negatively. But then as the week kind of went on, it started to grow on them more and more. I didn't think that there was, what I saw, it wasn't like any sort of fundamental opposition. There were either the people that were die hard or started out indifferent and then slowly moved into, yeah, I think I really like this, which I think I am more the latter just because I was overwhelmingly excited about the confirmation. And then I was like, okay, I think I like this. And then as I thought, I was like, yeah, I actually think I really like this. Right. That's definitely what I've seen as well. I think most people who are really excited are fans of them together, probably Spider-Man fans and have been looking forward to this for the past four years. So it was just an overwhelming amount of excitement for them to see this actually happening. I think the people who are indifferent probably never thought about them as a couple, like just not in their orbit. Like obviously each, both of them individually are in their orbit because they're such main players in Hollywood, I feel like. But as a couple, maybe, you know, it just like because they weren't involved in the Spider-Man thing or they hadn't been hearing the rumors since 2017, them being together didn't mean anything to them. I think obviously also we can admit that I think there was the initial like, oh, wow, he's 5'8 and she's 5'10. Like, you know, we can all admit that people had that thought, but once they worked past it, they were like, oh yeah, they're actually cute together because- Obviously, Zendaya is no one will ever be good enough for her, but he has such this like adorable yet sexual energy that I think matches her really well. And I have to say, anytime I've ever seen them interact, they just seem like they have so much fun together. Right, which is so nice. And I, you know, like in terms of, I, this always happens to me. I don't know if you do the same thing. I feel like you guys listening probably do as well. When a new couple arises, you think of like, okay, well, which one am I more? of a fan of like, which one is not my allegiance towards, but who do I, who am I, who is dating who here in terms of my own mind? And for me, obviously Zendaya is the one that I am definitely more drawn to. We talk about more. I just feel like in my, in my world of celebrity interest, she comes up more. That being said, we have that account overheard celebs and we get a lot of submissions that we don't post because they're not a big enough story or nothing monumental happened, but it's just somebody sharing their interaction. And we've posted, I think, one or two Tom Holland ones. We've probably gotten around like maybe 14 random number submissions in the time of having the account of people just sharing their interactions. And these are people that this is not going public. They're just saying it to us. They have no reason to say something kind or not kind about him. Every single thing is so kind. Like every single one is him going out of his way to make sure that the fan gets the picture or just little small things that he was doing when nobody was looking. And to me, that's the biggest testament to someone's character. It's kind of like, 
okay, great that all these celebrities think that Ellen was so nice to them. Like, I don't give a shit about that. Tell me how she was to the person in the mailroom. That's how it was with Tom Holland. Like, tell me how he was to the fan that couldn't get a picture and he got out of his car and ran out. Like, those are the stories that I care about. Yes, exactly 100% that. And it's the type of thing where, A, it makes you respect him more. I I obviously, and I think 99% of people are this way, where when you find out that a celebrity is actually a good person in real life or is a seemingly good person in real life, your respect for them is just elevated to a new level. And I think that was something that both of us discovered specifically with Tom Holland, because you're right. Like I personally am not a huge, you know, Spider-Man person. So he's not super in my orbit as an actor or as like a entity in and of himself, but Zendaya is. And I feel like when you hear more stories about Tom Holland coming out and you watch some of his interviews and you see the way he interacts with Jake Gyllenhaal specifically, you're then able to understand, okay, I can now take this and apply it to how I believe he's going to treat Zendaya and that makes me happy and that makes me want to support this relationship a million times more. Right. And then on top of it, and this is like not at all the driving force and really should not even be to me a major consideration because I don't think you should evaluate it based on like what the ex is up to, but just something to consider is like once her and Jacob Elordi seemingly ended, which let's say was around March of last year. He has obviously been with Kaya Gerber. And not that they're major PDA, but there's a decent amount of paparazzi photos of them. Most recently, it was her brother Presley's birthday and Jacob was there. She posted for his birthday. You know, you see that they are very much a current couple. And so I guess I was curious, kind of like, is Zendaya going to also be public with somebody at the same time? And so again, that doesn't change anything. They can do whatever. I am not excited for her happiness at all, like qualified by his. They're separate things. That being said, I was interested. And so it just adds another layer in all of this, if I'm being honest. Yes, it 100% does. I so agree. Okay. Let me start by saying this next one is not in our list of couples. We only put it in this based on some of the headlines, but Julie and I definitely don't think there's anything going on here. And if there is, we'll wait and see. But as of this moment, we don't. I'm sure you guys saw the weekend and Angelina Jolie leaving Giorgio Baldi last Wednesday night. They left separately and they, even though they walked out together, again, we don't think there's anything going on here. But for like 16 seconds, it's really fun to imagine if there were. Yeah. I believe this was a business dinner. Um, He's getting more into acting, I believe. I'm sure, you know, there's plenty of crossover in terms of things that they would work on together. Maybe they're just friends and they wanted to have a meal. Like, you know what I mean? But it is so fun to take a pairing like that, especially because it's so random where it's like when you first see it, you're like, what in God's name would The weekend be doing with Angelina Jolie? Like you have to take a second to be like, okay, if they're not dating, then what's going on here? It's just such an odd pairing. So it's fun to discuss regardless of anything because it's just two people you would never expect to be walking out of a restaurant together. Yeah. Well, that's in general. You say this a lot, kind of like you always say to me, you're like, if I was a celebrity, which <laughs> literally our worst nightmare, you would just be like, why don't we just fuck with people? Like it, it must be fun to be able to create a headline from something seemingly so innocent. Yes. And for example, if the weekend Angelina Jolie really wanted to, all they would have to do is text each other and say, "Want to get dinner again tonight?" Just to walk out and see what happens, because you know, one dinner is speculation. 
a second dinner, a second spotting together is like, then you really get the rumor mills going. Then it really starts to escalate and snowball into something else. So it's so funny to me to picture, and I don't believe celebrities often do this as much as they should, but to picture celebrities just doing things for the sake of fucking with us because they so easily can. They have such a hold on us. All they have to do is set up a headline and watch us all go crazy. And I can't think of something that must be more entertaining as a celebrity than that. Well, I think of this in terms of the lowest lift option for them, which is commenting. I mean, think about it. Think about how many times speculation or potential, you know, romance or whatever it is has originated from some comment left somewhere, which they could do from the comfort of their own home. You could be in bed and all of a sudden start a headline. So that to me, I think is like, you know, the easiest way for them to fuck with us. And I say us collectively, and I love it. I am, I welcome being fucked with because in the moment it is still, it is still fun. And on top of it, in order to fuck with somebody intentionally, you have to be thinking about it. So let's use this as an example, although this wasn't what was going on here. Let's say Angelina Jolie in the weekend decided, hey, we're bored. Let's do something just to rile up the public. They still had to actively have that thought. And that in and of itself is funny to think about. Right. And and they didn't necessarily. I just think they should. I think more celebrities should have fun with the absurdity of fame and the absurdity of people watching their every move. Like I often think about, for example, and this is not the same thing because I think he just genuinely does this, but I think about Adam Sandler going to IHOP, for example. And I believe that Adam Sandler is somebody that specifically loves IHOP and he is not thinking anything about it other than I have to get pancakes right now. Mm -hmm. But if I was a celebrity, I would just go to a restaurant like that to watch people try and figure out what the fuck I'm doing there. For example, when Kim and Kanye took the kids to Cheesecake Factory, it's like, for one second, you're like, how did you even find out about this place? Like, I would just do funny shit like that because I think being a celebrity, most of the time, if I'm being honest, is probably so dark in terms of restriction and what you can and can't do and what you feel like you have to be doing at all times. So to be able to just go out and do something ridiculous like that, like go to a restaurant that the entire world would never assume you would even know about, let alone eat at, to me seems like the funniest thing ever. (laughs) Right. It's like their version of fun. No, I completely agree. So I mean, there's more that could be done with it if if the uh, PR images weren't curated so perfectly. But then again... And that's also the thing that celebrities have to realize is you don't need that PR image to be curated so like perfectly and tied up in a bow like that. People like you so much more when they feel like for one second you're normal. And the fact of the matter is, is that you're not. Nothing about the lives that these celebrities lead is normal. Even Adam Sandler going to IHOP doesn't make him normal. But for one second, you look at that and you're like, wow, that's the most normal guy in the entire world. And Think about how loved celebrities who are able to pull that image off are, that if more celebrities were able to lean into that and, you know, do away with that clean, perfectly curated image, like we've spoken about with social media, but in their own real lives, it would do such amazing things for them, I think, especially depending on the celebrity. Right. It is so dependent. I think in general, we just like right now, specifically at this point in time, really welcome chaos. And I think at times we just want things to get a little bit more chaotic. Yes. Yes. 
Well, speaking of, we have no idea what the deal is here, but I'm sure you guys saw the speculation with Demi Lovato and Noah Cyrus because they were at the Space Jam event at Six Flags last week. And there was photos of them holding hands, which I think one of the reasons that it sparked just conversation or curiosity is because last year they had also teamed up to record Easy for Demi's latest album. And I remember there was a page six thing at the time saying that people that were kind of watching them record based on their behavior was curious if there was something more going on. I have no insight into that, but I just want to acknowledge it as something that people were curious about. Yeah, I'm so curious about that. I have no idea, but I I can't say I would be surprised. I think that they would make perfect sense as a couple to me. No, completely same. I think it would make total sense. And then keep in mind, Pete Davidson and Phoebe Denifer, which we'd spoken about last year because in April, they were photographed for the first time kind of walking in the English countryside in this very like romantic photo. And they made what I think is their first public outing last Saturday at Wimbledon. I'm sure you guys saw those photos. We'll put the link in the description in case you didn't, but they seem in love. Okay. Love is a strong word, (laughs) but I will say he does look very happy. He does. Can you believe he's getting all of his tattoos lasered off? No, I can't. I mean, I I don't want him to get rid of all of them. (laughs) It seems like a lot. I mean, that's a lot of pain. Yeah, but he likes that. You guys should watch, I also put the link in the description, his Smart Water ad, because he did an ad with Smart Water that plays exactly on the tattoo removal. I thought it was, you sent it to me last night, I think it was so well done. Yeah, it was perfect. It, it was very funny. And I always like when he's involved in projects or things that you would never think, because the whole idea of Smart Water doing an ad about, you know, taking care of your body and being really healthy and and whatever is so funny to Pete. And you can tell that he's laughing through the commercial that he was the person that was picked to do this. And it just made the whole thing so much better. And I, yeah, I mean, I obviously was obsessed. Those are my two favorite things in the entire world, Smart Water and Pete Davidson. What more could I ask for? It's just so funny when I think in my mind right now, and I'm sure there are a bunch of more, but if somebody asked me right now, list two people that have been the spokespeople for Smart Water. I would say Jennifer Aniston and Pete Davidson. And it's like, let, let me find the common denominator there. Uh, me, I'm the common denominator. I love <laughs> both of those people. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. It's just that so funny. Very funny. And then Olivia and Harry in Italy. I mean, you guys, this is, we have come a long way from those original speculatory days right post the Jason Sudeikis breakup announcement. Because keep in mind, he, I think, has confirmed his relationship with Keely Hazel, who is his Ted Lasso co-star. So I guess Olivia and Jason are both in relationships. Hers just happens to be with Harry Styles, and they just happen to be vacationing in Italy, not in New York. Yeah. And again, that goes back to your previous point of what you were saying about it's almost easier to enjoy a couple when the other person seems happy as well. I mean, obviously we don't know the ins and outs of that relationship, but when you're stalking pictures of Harry and Olivia and you see Jason Sudeikis has a new girlfriend, you're like, okay, I feel like I can enjoy this a little more. Yeah. I so feel that way, especially because for some reason we all were very excited for Olivia, but did feel a little bit of sadness for Jason for based on what the articles were reporting. I know that they've been dating for a while in terms of Harry and Olivia. Like I know that we've had confirmation. We've seen them together. 
every single pic to me of them together, especially kissing pictures, feels like the first time I've ever seen it. Like my heart stops when I see them. No, I my reaction, that's why like everybody was losing it over Zendaya and Tom Holland. And I get it. I was too. I really was so thrilled to have that confirmation. But the yacht, I think it was just the comparison of like, a, you can't compare a car photo and then a yacht photo in Italy. Like if Zendaya and Tom were on that yacht, I would have felt the same way. It was really just the setting. But Harry, he, he is so fucking hot. Like I think back to, I want to say a year and a half ago, we were in studio and Isabel came on and we were talking about some award show. And I was like, I know you guys are so in it. Like I see it for you guys. I don't really get the appeal. What the fuck was I thinking? Like I, he is so sexy. I, I know, and I've said it. I mean, it's it's really next level. And what's so interesting about Harry is, and this relationship specifically, is the more you've learned about him and his like preferences in terms of dating, the fact that he's with somebody like Olivia who's a little bit older makes perfect sense. So it's it's kind of like, it's interesting to watch a couple that's already hot, but you also know that on top of that, it's fulfilling some sort of like deep sexual fantasy as well. Yes, for sure. And honestly, wait, let me go as far as to say, I don't even think it's necessarily sexual fantasy. I almost in a way think it's like mental, mental fantasy or kind of like from the few glimpses that we have gotten into him talking about dating older women in a way, it's comes additionally from like an intellectually motivated place kind of, you know what I mean? Or, or um, some a maturity motivated place. Like, I don't think this is just some sort of I want to date a mom thing. Yes. If Yes, exactly. It's not just a fantasy that he's living. It's more layered than that, but it also feels much more than just, oh, this is my type. Right, right. That, yeah. I, I don't know. I like that. I think right now, if, if we have a million couples circulating. We have ASAP and Rihanna. We have Zendaya and Tom. We have you know, Ben Affleck and Jennifer. There's, there's so many. Megan Stallion and her boyfriend, which is a whole other situation that I would love to discuss. I think if I had to choose the conversation I could be a fly on the wall for, it would be Harry and Olivia currently. I just want to know what is being talked about. Yeah, me too. I would just, I mean, I would love to be in Italy with them. First of all, I wish that we had not skinny but not fat on to talk about all of the celebrities in Italy right now. Wait, I was dying from her story. <laughs> I, she's so right. Like literally every single person. If you're not in Italy right now, like what are you doing? It's, everybody was there and all at the exact same time. And I just wonder how much crossover there was. If you're not in Italy or – Or and Michael Rubin. <laughs> and Michael Rubin's white party in Bridgehampton, what the fuck are you doing right now? That, that's what you were going to say, right? Yes. <laughs> I knew it. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. Okay, lastly, couple-wise, obviously you guys saw Ben and Jen in the Hamptons. Nothing to say there other than really loved their monochromatic nude looks. But Blake Shelton and Gwen Stefani got married. It was at his Oklahoma ranch. Carson Daly officiated it. It looked absolutely beautiful. I can't lie, though. Like I, One thing I refuse to do on this podcast is fake enthusiasm. I'm genuinely, like from the bottom of my heart, so happy for them. I just can't pretend that I care so deeply about them as a couple because I, I don't. I don't care about them at all. I was just going to say that. You know what's funny? This is, what? It's very funny because a lot of people will like yell us and be like, you know, it's kind of annoying that you guys don't have differing opinions. Like you guys always agree on everything, whatever. And I'm like, as you're 
introducing this topic, I'm like, this is such a great opportunity for me to be like, I don't give a fuck about this couple. Like, watch. <laughs> like, even if you like, I didn't really know how you felt. We don't talk about them ever, so I have to assume that you don't care. But I was like, wow, what a great opportunity for me to be honest and be like, I don't give a fuck about this couple. And then you jumped in, you were like, I don't really care about them. And I'm like, great. Again, we're agreeing. <laughs> I know we can't help that we agree on things. I, I like, I don't know what people want us to do. No, I think, and I get it. I get it. People want the, the debate, but sometimes <laughs> I don't know. We're just like-minded individuals. Should I take this on and be like, this is the thing that I'm passionate about. Just absolutely need to disagree with you on. <laughs> Doing your hair has the potential to be such a time consuming process. If you're not using products that really work for you, honestly really work with you. And for me, I'd say generally speaking, my hair is pretty easy to manage, but it does get frizzy. I have a lot of split ends. So I'm always looking for things to manage the frizz. And recently I've been into a new product from Way. It's their anti-frizz cream. So it's a really lightweight cream. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours and also heat protection up to 450 degrees. So you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. Then the thing I really like about it is that it helps reduce and repair split ends while quenching dry hair with intense hydration. So you can feel like it just feels good on your hair. For me, I get out of the shower. I always spray in the leave-in conditioner. I've told you guys about that before, but I love it. A little anti-frizz cream and you're good to go. I also, I mean, I love a lot of things from Way, but I like their detox shampoo. I don't use that every week, maybe once a week, maybe once every other week, but I feel like it gives my hair a really, really good clean. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code CELEBS for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code CELEBS. This is not a news story. We're just going to glaze over it quickly and we'll get into the Kardashian recap. We just want to mention it because of the amount of DMs that we personally got. So if anybody saw the photos from this insane white party in the Hamptons and you saw Jay-Z there, you saw Charlie D'Amelio and her whole family, Megan Thee Stallion, Travis Scott, Meek Mill, Winnie Harlow, Quavo, Bon Jovi, DaBaby, I mean, you name it, they were there, Emily Ratajkowski, the list goes on. And you still haven't put the pieces together of what was going on. It was at Michael Rubin's house in Bridgehampton. He has this $50 million home right on the water. It is one of the most insane homes in the Hamptons. I mean, it is. It's one of the the nicest lots. He, for anybody curious as to where the money comes from, he is the executive chairman of Fanatics, which is like the leading provider of all licensed sports merchandise. So that's kind of where his fortune came from. He's worth they say an estimated of like three and a half billion. He's also co-owners of the 76ers and the Devils. And I mean, he's just in with, he's also the co-chair of the Reform Alliance, which I'm sure you may be familiar with because of Meek Mill. It's a criminal justice reform organization that he launched in January 2019 with Jay-Z, Meek Mill, and Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots. So it's like wealth on a level that is almost incomprehensible and on top of the wealth, just a level of connection is really, I would say, I would really say in the top of the top in terms of like the well-connectedness and the group of people that he is able to bring together because everybody was at this gathering. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like if you're, if you're still a little bit confused because you've, you've sat here and you've listened to this and you've said, okay, so now I get why Jay-Z's there and I get why Meek Mill is there and I get why DaBaby was there. Like I can understand these connections. And you're a little bit still lost on the Charlie D'Amelio of it all. Michael Rubin has a daughter around Charlie's age. And I believe that is where that group being brought in comes into play. Yes. Yes, for sure. I mean, it's just 
the the dynamics is, are really interesting. It was the kind of thing I don't know if like you guys were the same way, but with us, you can't just watch these stories from like one person's perspective. You really got to go to them all. So like you can't just go to Winnie Harlow's story. You also have to go to some of the TikTokers that were there. Like I was on everyone from DeBaby's page to Avani to fucking Charlie D'Amelio's dad. Like I was really going through all because everybody has a different angle, not only to where they were in the actual house, because obviously you want to see as much of the house as possible, but also who they were hanging out with, who was there, the fashion. It's just, it was an event. And uh, obviously it's July 4th in the Hamptons. There's a lot of stuff going on, but this was like next level. I mean, this could have been in Beverly Hills and it would have been just as lavish. July Fourth of the Hamptons. I went to the I went to the East Hampton movie theater. <laughs> no, well, that's like the way that we do it. This is the only party I've seen in like ever, maybe <laughs> that I was like, oh, I would have liked that invite. <laughs> I know, I know. It's definitely one where I had an intense level of curiosity, and I mean, just the, the home alone. It's it's beautiful. Definitely go down. It's worth going down a little bit of a deep dive because it's an interesting crew and it's a lot of money and it's worth looking at the pictures. Take like 10 minutes out of your day and just go through it. And from a purely observational perspective, I think you'll appreciate it. Okay. So anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However... There have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to, I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you, I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wear. It's not in the cars for me, but when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because you guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. There's honestly not that much Kardashian-wise. The first thing I just want to say is Kim in Rome was, I would personally say, some of the best we've ever seen her look. Like We posted this tweet, and I think it was from Gibson, and it said, it was like a meme of anybody tries to talk to me like me. Have you seen Kim in Rome? She's back. And some people responded being like, what do you mean she's back? She's, she never left. It's not that she ever left. It's just, to me... I think even if I didn't know that she had gone through a divorce and I had saw pictures of her in the midst of the Kanye stuff and now, and I knew nothing, I was a complete outsider. I never saw Kim Kardashian in my life. I still think I would be able to pick up on the level of radiance 
that is coming from her now. And like the, not to sound dramatic, but like the happiness that seems to be oozing from her pores. It's not about the way she looks. She's always gorgeous. It's just, she seems so at peace right now. And I feel like we haven't seen her at peace in a little while. And I see these photos of her. I'm like, yes, that is the Kim that she wants to be. That is how she wants to dress. That is how she wants to present herself. And there isn't all this chaos going on in her mind. Like, again, I'm making all of these assumptions, but that's just the vibe that I got. It's probably also because she's eating pasta. Well, that too. <laughs> like, I know how I look when I eat pasta and I glow. So I can only imagine that on that massive scale and probably having a little bit of pasta deprivation that all of the Kanye stuff, yes. I, I think what you're seeing in Kim's pores is like Parmesan cheese. In like the best way possible. In the best way. She looked truly stunning. Like, again, she always looks beautiful. She was just particularly glowing. That picture that she Instagrammed of her when she's like in bed with the sheet on is like maybe my favorite picture forever. I know. I'm, I do, I just feel like this is going to be her era. And I know that's a ridiculous thing to say because it seemingly has been, but I just feel like whatever is going on right now really is working for her. And it was just such a joy to witness. Really, it was. Also, who walks on cobblestone that effortlessly? No, not me in sneakers. That's for sure. You want to know a fun fact about me that is so weird that it's a me thing and not a you thing? What? Years ago, when I was probably like 14, I had read that Justin Bieber did this interview. I could have been a little bit older, but I wasn't that old. I had read that Justin Bieber did this interview when he said his biggest turnoff was when women wore gladiator sandals, like the sandals that go up to the knee. And since then, I have had an inability to not have that association. So like I see Kim in that tortoiseshell dress and she looks fucking gorgeous. And the sandals were so perfect. They were very Roman. It made sense. I got it. I couldn't help in the back of my head. My first thought when I saw those, my knee-jerk reaction was like, hmm, I wonder what Justin thinks about those. <laughs> I'm so relieved that it was an article. I actually remember this so vividly, him saying that. I'm so relieved it was an article of clothing that I wasn't – I was like, what am I going to have to throw out as soon as we finish this? (laughs) It wasn't something I've ever owned. So thank God for that. Yeah. (laughs) It was just my first thought. The other thing, have you seen this on TikTok? You know how everybody now does like the BBL trend? I'm sure you guys have seen this on TikTok where it's like they act as if you would think one would act after they got the BBL. It's like a very kind of layered joke that is happening on TikTok. But everybody is now saying that those photos of Kim eating the pasta, she was doing the BBL effect. They're like, this is Kim admitting that she had the BBL. It was so funny because it takes so much to understand where this joke even originated from. But isn't that so funny seeing that on TikTok? That is so funny because it is such a beautifully layered joke. And there is nothing better than the feeling of fully understanding it. I know. I was about to try to explain it. And then I was like, you know what? Just look on TikTok. I can't do a good enough job. There's no way to explain it. Like You either are on BBL TikTok or you're not. Right. It's a fun place to be. I'm glad I'm there. Me too. Other thing, just again, nothing to report here, but the Courtney and Travis appreciation of Disney is continuing. Courtney in Alabama continuing. I, I don't know, guys. Like I'm just... Things are happening here. I think we're going to get, I think we're going to get a marriage. I should say, I think we're going to get engagement rumors in not that far away. I would not be surprised at all. I really love watching them interact. And I think 
specifically the familial element of it makes it so much better because it's not just about the two of them. Like obviously at a certain point with a lot of couples, it's like, okay, you can only see so many pictures of them, you know, making out in public or going on vacation together. I'm not talking to you, Justin and Haley. I'll never get sick of it. I promise as long as I live, but other couples. Yeah. And so with them, it's like, okay, it reaches a certain point where like the shock value is worn off. You're not looking at them anymore shocked to see them together. And you're not looking at them or shocked at how much PDA they're showing. But to see them become this little family and to see their kids who have already known each other and kind of grown up together become closer and be like siblings and to see Courtney kind of have a girl's day with Travis's kids, like it adds a whole other element of it where it's like you don't get tired of it ever because you're literally watching a family kind of form before your eyes. And it's a really beautiful thing to see. It is a really beautiful thing to see. And I will maintain what I've said earlier about clearly Alabama is not new to this. She was born into this world of fame. They've been friends with the Kardashians forever. I still think that not Alabama, Travis Barker's daughter, Alabama, the like 15 year old girl who's obsessed with TikTok thinks this Courtney thing is cool. Like I still will maintain that I think she thinks this is so cool. I don't think she's jaded enough by the fame of her father to not recognize like how cool this is from a pop culture level. I so agree. And I've said that, you know, a lot, especially maybe it's not in terms of Courtney herself because they've known her for so long, but definitely the family and the newfound deeper connection and association with the family is absolutely cool to her. I, I, I think it would be weird for it not to be honestly. And on top of that, the other thing you have to remember with Alabama and Courtney is that Alabama has been very vocal about the relationship or lack thereof that she has with her mother. So on top of it, just being really cool that his dad is dating someone that she really likes and that she happens to find to be really cool and interesting and adds a whole other layer. She's really somebody that's craving a mom figure in her life right now. And I think that we can very much see that play out, which adds, again, a whole other element to this dynamic. Right. And Courtney, probably, I would say, arguably her most defining characteristic is how much she loves being a mother and kind of just like her maternal ways, even if they seem to be lacking on the show in terms of how she communicates with other people, but as it applies to her kids and by extension of that, the children of people that she loves. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but I just, I love them together. I said what I said and I, I'm really just happy for them. Me too. Anything else you want to mention? That's it, kid. Okay, well, we love you guys so much. We'll see you later this week for Kardashians. Isabel and I will see you later this week for Bravo. And thanks for doing this with us. We're so lucky. It felt really good to come back. Thank you.